Perhaps many of you, like me this morning, were listening to an 8-track tape, or maybe you were listening to a record of Supertramp, 1979. Wait, what? Do you know Supertramp? They had a great album called Breakfast in America back in 1979, and there was a song on that that became quite a hit called The Logical Song. The logical song goes something like this. I will not sing it for you. When I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. A miracle. Oh, it was beautiful, magical. And all the birds in the trees, well, they'd be singing so happily, joyfully, playfully watching me. But then they send me away to teach me how to be sensible responsible, logical, practical. And they showed me a world where I could be so dependable, clinical, intellectual, cynical. And then this refrain that might resonate with you in some ways. There are times when all the world's asleep. The questions run too deep for such a simple man. Won't you please, please tell me what... We've learned. I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. There are times when all the world's asleep. The questions run too deep for such a simple man. Won't you please, please tell me what we've learned. I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. It's a question like that that helps explain why most of us find a very challenging to not be still, to not be constantly occupied with some kind of technological device or music or noise or activity, because then you're troubled with existential kinds of questions like that. What is my life leaning toward? What kind of person am I supposed to be? Why am I here? What am I for? We're going to try to talk about those kinds of questions over the coming weeks. Please tell me who I am, he cries out. And there's no shortage of voices telling you, as there would have been for the Israelites, who were the original recipients of this document we call Genesis, Beginnings. Voices telling us who we are and what we are for. The question is trying to decipher which one is right. Do you realize that there are shouts in your ear all the time urging you to think of yourself in a certain way? The most insidious one, I think, in our present moment is just this. You are a person designed to buy and experience bought things. You're made to consume stuff, to get stuff, to be what you wear. That's why so many commercials, isn't it? Make you feel a certain way. They're not interested in you knowing all the details about their product. They just want you to think of yourself as a certain kind of person who would not dare drive a Buick. You would drive something snazzier. Like a Toyota Camry. Like your cool pastor. People are being shouted at. No, 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 no. 
Here's the main thing about you. You are your biological urges. And so we esteem and herald and celebrate those who no longer fight what history has always called deformed, perverted, out-of-line sexual desires. Instead, don't fight that. That's what you are. Are we just what our sexual desires are? Are we just our appetites? Are we just what we want? Are we just someone who exists to buy things? Maybe you are stuck in the valley of diapers, as a friend of mine called it. Or you can't even think very much, but the one thing you know is that your life somehow or another will be determined by what those kids are. And maybe you're out of the valley of diapers and you're extended back and you're a grandparent and you're looking down and you're berating yourself because you think, what did I do wrong? Because your life, your identity was them. There are all kinds of competing voices saying, here's what you are. Israelites would have been no different. Slaves for 400 years in Egypt, never having been anything but slaves at the time that God through Moses gives them this teaching, where they would have learned, they would have expected that there is an image of God on the earth. Of course there's an image of God on the earth. There's one of them at least. His name is Pharaoh. The Egyptian king, he is the manifestation of God's presence on the earth, the physical embodiment of the gods located in one person ruling on behalf of Ra. But you, Israelites, you're worse than nothing. You're completely expendable. You're cogs in a wheel. You're trash. You're slaves. You do not matter. And so to the question, if they even should be permitting themselves to ask it, would be, tell me who I am. Am I what the Egyptians say? Am I what the cultures of Mesopotamia say? Am I what advertisers tell me now? Or is there another louder voice that has something to say about who I am? And here's... What the scriptures say. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Today. If you leave remembering nothing else, I would have you think of this. When the Bible wants to define who you are, it goes to this concrete level, foundational principle that's meant to be determinative of everything that you are and every way you think about yourself and others and even what you do on the earth in terms of activity or vocation. You are the image of God. And the idea of being the image of God for today, we're going to say this. I represent another. So if you leave with nothing else, 
have that mantra you can replay and rehearse to yourself. I represent another. I represent another. See, that's what an image is. An image is a representation of a thing to which it points. You know, in the ancient Near East, God uses this language of image in much the same way that if he were writing to us today, he would probably use a different word. Because God is a God who accommodates. He is very eager for us to understand what he's talking about. So in our world, we understand what branding is, eh? Even if you've never taken a marketing class, even normal, ordinary dudes are talking about branding now. And your brand is this, this, this idea that you project. This experience that your customers have of you, the thing that they think about you when they see your printed material and your social media outreach. When they interact with your customer service, when they don your products. It's a kind of way of thinking. And if God were telling us today who we are, he might say, you're my brand. You know how this works. Have you ever called Zappos? You ever dealt with Zappos? I mean, I just want to go live there. They're so sweet and kind. No one's ever cross at Zappos. They just want to help you. And they're so cheerful and exuberant about it. They've got this brand. They have these cool shoes. And they get them to you fast. And you just feel so warm inside when you talk to them if you have a problem. See, if you don't get the joke, you haven't never called Zappos. You call them this afternoon. I don't get a commission. The idea, though, in the ancient Near East was that images were statues that stood for the presence of the ruling king. So if you were walking about, you would see a statue placed on some corner of Pharaoh's territory of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, you would know when you saw that statue, that statue wasn't just a decorative item, a sort of Mesopotamian knick-knack. That stood for something. It was the presence of the king. It said, he rules here. The king rules in this place. These images, these statues. The Israelites would have understood this. And Moses says, Guess what? The king of all creation, who's just after six days of creating, and he said, this is good. This is good. He stands back and he evaluates his creative work. Good, good, good. But it isn't until the end of the sixth day, after he breathes into existence his living image that has a body. that he can stand back and say, very good. And this image is supposed to work like this. When people see you or any human, wherever you are, they should say, ah, the Lord of hosts rules here. 
in this mechanics shop. Ah, at this software company, God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, He rules here. Oh, at this Chick-fil-A. They're asking, how may I serve you today? It's the Lord of the heavens who rules here. We're His living statues who represent His rule. Made in His image, let them rule. He's sharing responsibility. He's dignifying us with opportunity. We represent another as images of the King who made everything. If you start to believe this, if you start to let this be a kind of thing that you rehearse to yourself and replay in your mind, and you, you'll find yourself being able to combat certain kinds of detrimental attitudes and thoughts that come into your life. It'll tilt you in a certain kind of direction so that you have a way to steward yourself and not be the victim of yourself. And not be the victim of all the louder voices around you. But it simply starts with having the idea that I am the carrier of another, that I am the representative of another. I do not represent myself in the world. I represent another. You may have noticed recently, if you've seen me out someplace or in the last couple of weeks, and you went to reach, shake my hand, I didn't shake your hand. It's not because I'm not a phenomenally kind and effusively warm fellow. We all know that's true. Again, another bad joke. Thank you. It's because I've been sick. And I've been aware of the fact that I am sick. And so when I've been hacking and coughing and covering my hand, at least like a polite citizen, I do not want to then shake your hand and contaminate you. I realize that I'm carrying something that I don't want to pass along to you. We do this. We're aware of our sickness. We want to be mindful of other people, so we don't want to make them sick also. We're carriers of some kind of flu or strep or virus or cold. Ah, stay away. I'm carrying something. I've got something. In an opposite kind of way, you get this foundational kind of thought. I am a carrier now of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that God's going to represent Himself to the world is through me. So everyone I meet, and every work that I do, and all the things that I'm up to in the world, I am representing another kind of life. I'm carrying it, mediating it into the world. I'm showing the presence of God to other people. And all that I do, you have to sort of put this on as clothing. And inhabit this space as you go out into the world. And if you do this, it'll help you in some ways. For instance, have you heard of the psychological phenomenon that's now been labeled and diagnosed called the fear of missing out? F-O-M-O. Have you heard of this? So here's how it used to be experienced before the World Wide Interwebs. You would be sitting at your house on a Saturday with your family. You would be cleaning up messes and sitting there and having this sneaking suspicion. It was, no, no, it was more pronounced than a suspicion. This utter veracity inside you that knew, that just knew that every single other person on the planet was doing something cool and magnificent on this Saturday. And here you were stuck. Cleaning a toilet, 
being boring, just sitting there. You ever had that expression, that feeling, that experience? Happens to people all the time. And now, you just get to have the corroboration of all your suspicions validated every second that you get a new Instagram. Why does everybody else's dishes look so much better than mine? Everybody eats in such swanky and colorful ways. And for some reason are taking pictures of their food. Everybody's life looks so much more thrilling, enthralling, important, intentional than mine. And so you think somehow or another I'm missing out on something. I'm... Now, of course you realize I'm just going to share a cosmic secret with you. Everybody at the same time... Was that bad, Dave? It's inanimate, so what, what are we going to do? I mean, we can't pet it. So it's down now, right? So it can't be more down. It might be dead, but it's not injured. Okay. Fear of missing out. Of course, everybody's feeling that all at the same time. We're just trying to one-up each other, presenting our lives in a curated and self-edited way so that other people at least can think that we're we dress our children better than other people and we feed them in a more healthy way and we we only do exciting things. We don't even have to fiddle with tedium. Everybody's thinking that, I think. Everybody's fearing that they may be missing out. But if you realize that you have been created to represent another, there's an intention behind your creation. And part of your representing another is that you got a body when He made you. And when God, the Creator, in love, you know, Chesterton said the difference between construction and creation is that a constructed thing can't be loved until it exists. But a created thing is adored in the mind of the Creator before it even comes to bear. It lives in the mind, and then God speaks it into being. And so God, in love, has spoken us into being with bodies. The image of God has arms and legs. And you know what that implies? It can only be in one place at once. He didn't make us God. He made us like God. We represent Him, but we can't be everywhere at once all that like He is. And so we can combat this fear of missing out by realizing our Creator has placed us in such a reality that we can only be one place at once. I read someone recently who said we should extend the extended middle finger to Alexander Graham Bell. Why? Because he invented the telephone, and the telephone was this seduction of technology that said you can be in multiple places at once. But we can't. Not really. All creatures occupy a space and a time and it's the one you're in right now. You can battle. My God has placed me here to represent Him here. I don't have to fear missing out on some other life that I should have had. I can lean into the one I've got. Because God has made me to represent Him. 
I'm not trying to represent myself. I'm not trying to craft a life that makes other people envious. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to make a name for other for our God. And that's what I'm for. It can fight against the fear of missing out. It also can help you in your work. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over all the earth. This idea that God has made us to represent him to others. This representative idea can, if you let it, if you let it seep in, it can free you from all kinds of of the deterrents that make work so miserable to you. Here's one way. I recently was at, not recently, several years ago, I went to a car dealership. No, it was not that. It was a mechanic shop, a car repair shop. And this was the car repair shop that I always went to, and these guys were remarkably expensive and remarkably honest. So that's at least, that's a better combination than other ones that could exist. And I had an old Toyota Camry at the time, unlike the old Toyota Camry that I have now. And the mechanic said to me, the guy who ran the shop, he said, you know, you need $1,300 worth of work, and he listed off a whole slew of things that I don't know how to pronounce or remember or understand what they are. And he said, it's going to be $1,300, but you know what? I don't think you should even bother. Well, of course, my jaw dropped at just the rare miracle that had just existed on planet Earth. A dude had just told me that I needed work on my car, but then told me not to get it. He was working against his own interests. He was representing another's interest. He was being concerned about me. And I thought, wow, is this Zappos? But you see, you have the same experience. Anytime you meet up with somebody who's not consumed with themselves and they realize I am representing other interests, not my own. I don't live for the the endless self-promotion of myself. I do not live to make other people think that I'm great. I live to make other people think someone else is great. Which means I can suppress in my work my own interests for the good of the people for whom I work. So that can lead you. For instance, young people, we just celebrated these college graduates. Let me make a prophecy. Some of you will get jobs. Maybe. In this job, let me make you some guarantees. You will not be paid as much as you think you ought to be paid. The work will not be as important as you know good and well any work that you've been assigned to do should be. It will not... Utilize your full capacity as a person of boundless potentiality and talent and giftedness. You understand? But who cares? Because here's what you can do. You can follow the advice as you realize I'm the representative of another. You can follow the advice of Woodsy the Owl, another 1970s figure. This is kind of a 70s day. Did you know Woodsy the Owl? Woodsy the Owl is a rather oversized, frightening-looking owl... It was about my size, who worked for the National Forest Service, and he could talk, and he made public service announcements. And he had this refrain, give a hoot, don't pollute. That's what he would say. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Well, you see, 
If you start to realize I'm the representative of another, then no matter what job you go to tomorrow, and no matter how much you get paid to do it, even if you don't get paid to do it, because a lot of you have jobs that don't get paid. For instance, being a mom, or being a dad, or being a grandma. There are certain kinds of work you do you don't get paid for. But you represent another. You are the image of God. And so God, if He gives you an opportunity to work someplace, even if it's not doing the thing that you, you were made to do, even if it's not for as much money as you think you need to be making, you can give a hoot about it. You can give yourself to it because you're representing another. Someone's reputation is on the line at that job and it's not yours. You stand for another person. So you can give a hoot. I heard an old grocery store owner recently say, a young man was working at my grocery store and he finished his task and he said, what do you want me to do now? And I gave him this piece of work. When in doubt, pick up a broom. When in doubt, sweep. There's always sweeping to be done, he said. Well, here's the word out on you millennials. I'm just telling you what I've heard older people say. You don't work hard. You don't give a hoot. Worthless, all that. I don't believe that. You're made in the image of God. You represent another. There ought to be no one who works harder than us, no matter what the job is. No one who cares more about the people for whom we work and the customers that we serve and the people that we have been placed to represent God too. It can help us give a hoot about that. You are the representative of another. You are a carrier of Christ in all the places that you go. You start to get a hold of this and it can help you to sort of get dressed with this each day. Because our instant inclination without even trying, without even thinking about it, is how can I make a name for myself? And very early on in the words, in the story of Genesis, you find the Tower of Babel where they're making this gigantic ziggurat. And the intention behind it is so that we can make a name for ourselves. When the Apostle Paul says, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to live in these ways, but now you must rid yourselves of these things. When he talks about this, every single one of those things is all about forgetting that you represent another. It's all about saying everything that I feel and everything that I want is ultimate and it's the only thing that should be listened to. So if I have strong sexual desires, it doesn't matter what God says about them. I should follow them and obey them because that's being myself. But the apostle says that should be something you put to death with a mallet, not something you should be coddling and celebrating. Impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, this whole idea, all of it. It's embodied in a television program that Netflix has made called House of Cards, which I do not recommend. Did you hear me say I don't recommend you watch this from the pulpit? I'm not telling you to watch this. It's dark and it has adult themes. But the whole thing... I'm serious. You heard me say that. It's dark and has adult themes and I'm not recommending that you see it. But I saw it. And it's called 
Because I got to look out for people. And Kevin Spacey plays this senator, Francis Underwood. The show is called House of Cards because it, it's a study of someone who's out to make a name for himself. And when you're out to ultimately make a name for yourself, there's no end to the kind of blaming, to the kind of violence, to the kind of injury that you'll do to others because ultimately they won't matter anymore. All you're trying to do is use other people to get where you are and it's a flimsy life. And eventually, surely, something's, the bottom's going to fall out. The house of cards is going to break because we're not made to make a name for ourselves. We're made to find ourselves when we forget ourselves and realize that we were made to represent another. That's why... St. Augustine, who had been ruled, ruled by profligate desires, by rampant sexual immorality in his life, in fact, had lived with a woman for a long time who was not his wife, after his conversion to Christ. He was walking down the street, and this woman with whom he had lived called out to him on the same street, Augustine, Augustine, it's me! He did not acknowledge her. Augustine, it's me! And he says, oh, I know. But it is not me anymore. See, when he came into contact with the living Christ who raises the dead, who puts the death, the old person in us, so that we're not ruled by it anymore, then now our life is hidden with the true image of God. That we exist to represent another so we can be different. It's a kind of clothing that we can put on in the morning. I represent another. I'm going out into the world today to represent another. Think of this. This is why Dallas Willard could say that prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together today. It's not the only definition. But if you realize when you go out in the morning to your job tomorrow, if you said to God, God, I'm going to address him first. God, Father, I'm your representative. I know that. Will you live in me? Will you direct me today? Will you let me operate so that your name is extended and seems great and I am not worried about my own name? Help it to be so that at the bank today or at the school where I teach or in the home where I'm mom or in the classroom where I'm professor, help it to be so that people would say, oh, so that's what it's like. That's an approximation of what it's like if God were doing these things. It's the kind of clothing you can put on in the morning. You get dressed each day putting on Christ. I do not represent myself. I represent another who actually lives in me and means to broker his life out through me. This has got to be part of what Paul means when he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died in your life is now hidden with Christ. He talks about taking off the old man and putting on the new. So I urge you each day, when you wake up and you're getting dressed and you're trying to decide, do I wear today the white shirt or do I go with the white shirt? Or am I feeling footloose and fancy free and I'm going to go with a blue shirt? You know, that's the question you ask right in the morning. Don't ask that question. Just do it. 
But as you're getting dressed, you're putting on Christ as well. I wear another. I am carrying another. I am representing another. And you know what this will help you combat as well? And lastly, it will help you combat another four-letter acronym, not just F-O-M-O if you're missing out. It will help you combat this insidious and easy to adopt, if you don't think about it, idea of YOLO. Does everybody know what YOLO means? I'm in battle in my heart with YOLO. You only live once. Well, it's partially true. It is true that you only live once, but it's, it's a truncated vision of reality. Because if your life is truly hidden with Christ, if Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, and He is the firstfruits of all who are in Him, which means when He raised from the dead, so will you. And if He is the resurrection and the life, and you believe in Him, then you'll live forever too. Then YOLO is inadequate. It's a pagan doctrine. Don't buy it. And you can never represent another if you think like that. If you think, I only live once, you're never going to sacrifice once. Why would you? If you think, I've got to get the house of my dreams now. I've got to use all my money on me now. I've got to make a name for myself now. I've got to sacrifice everything for the greatness of my children now. I can't miss out on anything ever. If you're ruled by that, you're always going to be thinking about yourself. You're never going to be able to represent the needs of another. But here's the Christian vision of reality. You only live once, yes, but it's for a really long time. Forever. So whatever you don't get now, whatever you don't get in this life, whatever's taken away from you, whatever you lose, because you see, the image of God when He came to earth in the person of Jesus, His life was a life of self-expenditure. It was a life of not getting what He wanted, but submitting His will to the will of the Father. God can use us ever how He wants. He can spend our lives ever how He wants. And the promise is that we won't die. We represent another who has said, I do not let anyone who represents me, anyone who lives in me, and anyone who believes in me, I will not let them die. They will live forever. We need to do battle with yourself. Paul says if that's not true, then YOLO. Eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow we die. You may as well get as much as you can now, because that's it. But Paul says this ain't it. The people live forever. It's just a matter, do you live on the new earth, or do you live in hell? And people who find their life hidden with Christ live forever. And so they can combat all the, the tantalizing voices, which we all combat every second. They say, live for yourself. You better get it now because there's no other opportunity. You can say, no, 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 no. I live forever. So if I have a death sentence, I don't go skydiving, Rocky Mountain flying. I don't have to ride a bull called Fu Manchu. Because I can do those things in the new world. If for some reason I'm insane, then also. You represent another. Your life is not a house of cards. It's, it's an indestructible life if you believe in Jesus. 
And if you don't yet, you can. And have an indestructible life of self-forgetfulness representing another. So your life can mean something. So you can know who you are. Please tell me who I am. I am someone who represents the King of the heavens who's promised me I'll never die, who has taken up residence in me and has urged me to go out into this world that He loves to represent Him and make a name for Him and not myself. That is the path of life. Now walk in it.